Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. The NBA All-Star Weekend is here. We'll take a look at the main storylines around the league and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 55 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. The New York Knicks were once lauded as one of the best franchises in the NBA, but have spent the last decade or so spiraling out of control with the latest controversy surrounding one of the franchise's most beloved superstars. It's time for the return of the number one parody news anchor segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of... Sports news read like real news. The New York Knicks are currently worth more than $3 billion, but the worth of owner James Dolan to the franchise is less than a large order of Dippin' Dots from the overpriced concessions at Madison Square Garden. Some highlights during Dolan's tenure include Isaiah Thomas, Mike Woodson, Mike D'Antoni, Amari Stoudemire, Mello's No Trade Clause, J.R. Smith's Pipe, and Derrick Rose's Knees. The best buzz in the past several years has been Jeremy Lin. Years of disappointment came to fruition last week when beloved Nick alum Charles Oakley visited Madison Square Garden to enjoy a basketball game in the vicinity of owner James Dolan. Mere minutes into the contest, Oakley was approached by security and asked to leave at the behest of Dolan and to the disbelief of Charles. 
Oakley was visibly irate with the garden security, and after an altercation and some shoving, Oakley was taken to the floor, arrested, and taken out of the garden in handcuffs. He was brought to the local precinct before getting released that night. When the video of the incident surfaced, Knicks fans were understandably irate. Oakley and Dolan had different sides to their tale, with Dolan going as far as a spot on the Michael K show, where he called out Oakley for his behavior, suspended him from the garden, and alleged that Oakley was a drunk. Dolan spent more time getting ready for the interview by way of his preparation binder that he brought along than he has in running a professional franchise, also admitting during the interview that he lets others take the reins of some basketball operations of the team. No shit. On Sunday, Dolan doubled down. After flipping through the Knicks' Rolodex, he surrounded himself with as many former players as possible, including Knicks staff Larry Johnson and Bernard King, and the great Vin Baker, who played all but 41 games in the orange and black. Dolan was so desperate for faces, Baker told Huffington Post Jordan Schultz that Dolan sounded really sad and asked if he would come to sit with him. Baker added that he hadn't spoken to Dolan in 15 years. Perhaps the most surprising face to sit on Dolan's lap for the game was Latrell Sprewell, who played five seasons with the Knicks during their last run of success before getting shipped to the Timberwolves. Upon his return to the Garden, Sprewell spent the entire game spewing profanities at Dolan and hadn't spoken to him since. Dolan, however, Ever the pimp wooed Sprewell from his bouncer duties in Wisconsin to join him courtside as a further dig to the oak tree. Thankfully, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver stepped into the matter like a gym teacher does to a scuffle during grade school recess. Dolan the bully was forced to explain himself during a sit-down with Silver and Oakley, along with a special guest via phone, Michael Jeffrey Jordan also a friend of Oakley's. News then came out that the ban from the garden was reportedly lifted, but Oakley simply asked the commissioner for an apology to the fans. If one apology does indeed come, Dolan should continue to include leading the Knicks to a downward spiral of disappointment. Instead of playing the kazoo for his band, J.D. and the Straight Shot, an instrument about as difficult as escaping a finger trap is to a small child, consider putting the franchise into able hands. Take your briefcase and your preparation binder and do as the hyenas once said to Simba. Run, James. Run away and never return. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to remember happier times for the Knicks. When we come back, we'll chat some NBA with this week's guest. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. 
As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help you get the urge to call in or text into The Bridge. And this week, we want to know what needs to happen to save the New York Knicks. And for a special addendum to that question, a first take-esque addendum, if you will, are you Team Dolan or are you Team Oakley? Call in or text in your response to 929-274-3437. We'll talk about the Knicks and much more with this week's guest in Oliver Maroney. He's an NBA writer who just started a new chapter for Dime on Uproxx. You've also seen his writing across a slew of other places. He's also a member of the Professional Basketball Writers Association. He's been able to cover some pretty great players throughout his career and tell some great stories about some of the lesser-known players. So we'll get into some of what he does on the writing side of things before getting into the Cavs and the Warriors and some trade discussion. And yes, the poor, poor Knicks. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at O Maroney MBA. That's O-M-A-R-O-N-E-Y-N-B-A. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Oliver Maroney. He's an NBA writer now for Dime on Uproxx. You've also seen his writing across a slew of other places, and he's a member of the Professional Basketball Writers Association. Oliver, thanks for joining the show. How are you? Hey, not too bad. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Excellent. I wanted to get things started by turning back the clocks a little bit with you. I know you just announced your new writing position with Dime and have been working your way around different NBA outlets for a while now. What made you decide you wanted to pursue the path of an NBA writer? Uh, you know, I actually really loved playing the game of basketball growing up, but I was never any good. So the second best thing is probably writing about basketball or at least analyzing basketball in a sense. And that's where I fell in love with the game. That's why I wanted to do this. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, look, I've bounced around a lot, but uh, I've really enjoyed just, you know, telling players stories and understanding, you know, the human being side of players is typically the way I like to, to write. It's not necessarily about the statistics or how you grade a trade or something along those lines. I typically try and, uh, you know, find stories deeper down the bench is what I like to say. Right. I was going to follow up with that. I know that's one of the mantras that you use. How would you describe that in your writing to tell the stories that people might not know about or that might not have been publicized yet? Well, uh, in the NBA specifically, I see I've met a lot of the guys and, um, you know, it's it's interesting to me. You know, the big name guys are always talking. They're always in the media. You always hear about them. But the role players, the guys who really don't get a lot of the publicity, um, those are the players that I was always intrigued with because, quite frankly, that's who I was when I was playing ball. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't very good, you know, like, like I said. But, you know, this is totally different. They're professionals. They're way better than I have ever been. But um, in the same sense, they were in a similar position or a, a position that I've been in myself in the sense that, you know, you're not the best player on the team, but you're certainly not the worst. And you think that you're, 
you know, your talents could be utilized potentially better than they currently are. Um, and that's where I got the intrigue. And a lot of those guys have time on their hands, not necessarily a ton of time, but time on their hands to kind of discuss their story a little deeper. Um, and that's what I took an interest in is really getting to know these guys um, and understanding like what they're going through, how they're going through it, whether I write a story about them or not. I'm just intrigued with talking to these players because um, you know, I'm about the same age as them. Uh, we have a lot of similarities and uh, I try and see the game from a player's perspective, not necessarily from someone who's just like crunching stats or numbers and saying like, yes, this player equates to X amount of wins. I'm, I'm looking at it on paper and looking at it, uh, on the court and visually speaking, you know, this player's working his butt off on both ends of the floor. So, you know, there's a couple different things that I look at in a story, but really the, the number one thing for me is uh, getting to know the guy and, you know, if, if his story is interesting, great. But um, the most important thing for me is, is getting, being able to actually know that person uh, on a unique kind of one-off basis. And that's where I try and tell the story. That's where I try and find the different angles that I run with. In that regard, is there a story that you've written or an interview that you've done that sticks out to you as one of your favorites or a memorable one? There's a few. I mean, uh, you know, I, I talk about doing stories, you know, for six, seven, you know, eighth men on on rosters, but uh, I did one on James Harden this summer that I was very proud of, uh, really ecstatic with the way that it turned out. And you know, look, I was a guy who really disliked the way that Harden played the game previous to the season, uh, just because of the flopping and the negative connotation with him. And I started to, you know, so many people were, were killing him uh, in the news and et cetera for, you know, the Shaq in the pool moments, the lapses on defense, et cetera. And when players get that in the media, I always side with the player. And that's when I started to kind of buy into what James Harden is as a player and as a human being. And uh, that was one where I got quotes from like Patrick Beverly, Daryl Morey, uh, Dino Smiley of the Drew League. And I, I put together a pretty nice article, I thought. But what was more important is that um, the story was completely the opposite of what most people were saying, which was the Houston Rockets will be terrible this year. They get a new coach in Mike D'Antoni who nobody trusts and understands. Um, you know, they added some new pieces, but they're injury prone and they're never going to be able to live up to their expectations. And a lot of it was negative this off season. And so I wrote a positive piece about it. And I said that, you know, James Harden could potentially be the MVP this season and Beverly backed that up. And that, that probably, you know, sticks out to me just because of all the news outlets that picked it up probably for the wrong reason. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Beverly's quote, I think was, uh, you know, I expect him to win MVP and lead us to the finals, I think was his quote. And everybody took that quote and ran with it in their own way. So uh, it's funny how things work, but uh, you know, if you actually read my piece, it was totally different from what that quote actually meant. So that was a really fun one. The other one that I really enjoyed was uh, Myers Leonard, actually. Uh, he plays with foreign trailblazers and his story, he was basically homeless when he was a kid. Uh, his parent, parent, his mom, moved from house to house. His father died, I think like the age of like six or seven, I believe. And, um, he moved from house to house in, uh, you know, a very rural setting, um, in Illinois. And so that whole situation with Myers Leonard was very interesting. And he went through the whole story from start to finish. And, uh, that was a very in-depth piece. It took me a long time, but, uh, getting to know Myers as a person, 
uh, was a treat and I really appreciate what he gave me. And, uh, you know, just as a human being, I think he's one of the best human beings you can meet in the NBA. Speaking of the James Harden piece, which came last summer for Basketball Insiders, and you mentioned that message was that the Rockets would only go as far as James Harden takes them. That included the Patrick Beverly quote about him basically expecting to be an MVP and lead the Rockets to the finals. Simple, as he said. And as you mentioned as well, that led to major media outlets picking up that story, like first take on ESPN, his and hers, all throughout major media outlets. Was that a pretty cool moment for you, even though they might have ran with your story a little bit differently, just to get noticed on such a high platform like that? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's definitely fun to be able to kind of see the, I guess, the fruits of your success. I was still a little bit disappointed in the way that it was obviously taken out of proportion just because, you know, and in like any story, you pull a quote from it and you can get something else. And that's what people did. Uh, I think first take debated like how crazy that quote was and how stupid, you know, how outrageous it was. And, uh, you know, I'm listening to them kind of argue back and forth when they probably never even touched my piece. Like they, they all there's all this scene is the quote on the board. And they're talking about it. And that's totally fine. That's their job. I get it. But, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't hurt to at least read where the, the story was going for, going for or what it, what, it, what it was going for. And so, yeah, it, it, it was cool. And it was also a little bit, um, you know, I almost wanted to just start uh, tweeting out like this was not my intention. Because, right. you know, and, and the players and the GMs, they know that. Like, n- nobody was going to. Uh, take that out of proportion or blame me for it that that was just the quotes that I was given those were the the situation that's the situation that occurred but you know I did at some point feel a little bit bad that you know the piece kind of got jaded a little bit because of that but other than that I mean yeah it's great it's great to see your piece go on national tv or uh, go on every major media outlet that you can think of I mean I I, I kept just seeing tweet after tweet after tweet and uh, it was yeah it, it went for a good three or four days at least uh, maybe even a week and you know then i'm listening to sirius xm and they're like hey this piece by oliver maroney blah blah blah, blah. and daryl morey says this is polarizing and everything else and I'm, I'm like wow this is crazy you know i'm driving around and listening to somebody talk about an article that i wrote so it is very very cool it's extremely uh awesome and i can't explain that feeling but uh at the same token you know like i said the piece itself uh kind of lost some of the form that that i originally wanted it to take (laughs) while those outlets might have deemed what patrick beverly said crazy at this point in the season the rockets are third in the western conference behind two of the most successful franchises in recent history at least in the west and have been doing incredibly well for what people thought they would Regarding that statement that he made about James Harden being the MVP and potentially leading the Rockets to the finals, how true of a statement is that at this point? I mean, it's pretty dang true. And I said it two weeks before I even did that interview. And I don't want to give myself credit, but uh, I did, you know, go out and post publicly that James Harden would win the MVP. I just felt it uh, after talking with some of the people around his inner circle there was a change in mindset with James Harden and that's what Patrick Beverly saw. That's why he said it, you know, it it wasn't crazy, especially in his mind, obviously being a teammate and, you know, being a teammate, you're going to have a little bit more of a higher expectation, I guess you could say with, with your fellow players. But um, I think people definitely did not see this coming. And uh, I'm proud to say that I was one of the people who I think 
thought I saw this coming, and I, I'm not shocked at all. I mean, this is this this James Harden is not only a scorer, and that that's the thing that people thought. He he is a playmaker. Uh, he's got probably top five vision on the court uh, when you're talking about playmaking ability and what he can accomplish on the on the court. And uh, you know, as much as people like to say, look, he's looking for fouls, he's looking for this and that and the other thing. Yeah, that may be true, but this is part of the game of basketball. And if the referee is going to call it and let him play, then that's the situation that he's been given. You know, he can only be dealt the cards that he's been given. And so I don't, uh, you know, I, I enjoy watching what the Rockets have become because obviously I wrote that story. But on another level, I just enjoy seeing someone else up at the top and not necessarily the same three or four that we've seen in years prior, uh, obviously the Spurs and Golden State are up there, but obviously the Clippers are not anymore, uh, partly due to Chris Paul's injury. But, yeah, it, it's been exciting to watch. I mean, that, they're one of the best teams to watch in the NBA right now, no doubt about it. Regarding your writing process, I'm sure it helps to be stationed in Portland since the Blazers continue to have a very good team and you could also talk to players when they are visiting on the road. I know you're also balancing other jobs and I've been doing so throughout the last couple of years along with NBA writing. So I was just curious to find out what it's like for you to go after a story, what the access is like and how you make everything work into the final product. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I actually, I rarely uh, get much access at games anymore. Um, and partly that's my decision. Partly that's, you know, the organization or whatever you want to call it. But I, um, the, look, the locker room is a, to me, it, it's more of a, a place that the players are supposed to be. And I'd love to be in there every single day, but at the same token, I, I don't think you get the best of players when they're in the locker room. I mean, after a loss, nobody really wants to go in there and talk to these guys because they're, they're as down as they should be. So, um, you know, the way I conduct stories and articles is usually through connections that I've made over the years. Uh, I've gone paid my way to summer leagues. I've paid my way to all-star games to connect with different media members, managers, people of that nature. Uh, I was really incredibly fortunate to write for the Oregonian in a time where high school sports was thriving. High school basketball specifically was thriving in Oregon. Terrence Ross, Terrence Jones, EJ, Kyle Singler. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of names that came up in Oregon basketball, Kevin Love, uh, I could go down a list of guys uh, that have all played in Oregon uh, high school basketball. And that was the time that I was writing at the Oregonian for high school sports. So I made a lot of connections through them and uh, that has helped me along the way. And that's where I've really grown. That's what I've really done is I've, uh, I've found an, you know, a, just a different uh, way of accessing players. Uh, that I feel is a little bit more personable than just being another media member that's holding up my phone and hoping to get a quote from someone. Uh, my job is actually to tell the story the players want told. And uh, that's, that's part of the reason I do this is because I want to learn about them, not about necessarily the basketball game that's at hand or the basketball game that's next. But um, I, I want to know what their story is, what they've done, how they've accomplished what they've accomplished and what they're doing to overcome certain objections. So, uh, you know, I've balanced a lot of jobs, but it's really not that difficult when I've got my nights freed up and everything else. I usually take, you know, a lot of these interviews are done over the phone. Uh, some of them done, you know, you know, text message, um, and also just in person. Uh, you know, I 
I'll sit down with these players at a dinner or something like that and spend two hours just talking to them. And then afterwards, we'll kind of come up with a plan or uh, what we want to do to accomplish the story they want to be told. So I work very closely with the players in getting a story that not only does the players justice, um, but I feel it does the, the game of basketball justice in the sense that there's not enough of these pieces out there. And I think that every player deserves a chance to have his story told the way they want it told. And that's really my job. We'll get back into the rest of our interview with Oliver later in the show. But for now, we've got a brand new holiday segment just for you here on the bridge called Will You Be My Valentine? We're a day late from this show actually falling on Valentine's Day, but we know how sometimes cards can get lost in the mail. Maybe your significant other forgot the holiday altogether and was reminded when everything went on sale. In this segment, we'll take a look at what the most hated relationships in sports would say if they were to write out a Valentine's Day card for their significant other in this case. Here's the debut of Will You Be My Valentine? Dear Bryce, some people are worth waiting for. Will you be my valentine? Love, Jonathan Papelbon. See, the joke there is worth is spelled W-E-R-T-H as in Jason Worth as in another Nationals player. See that? See where we're going here? Dear Big Sexy, if loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right. Always, Mr. Met. See, what we did there was spell right, W-R-I-G-H-T, as in David Wright, as in the Mets' third baseman, former teammate of Bartolo Colon, now with the Atlanta Braves. See what we're doing here? Dear Mr. Met, you will never see another man in the entire country love you as hard as I will the rest of my life. Will you be my valentine? God bless, Timothy Richard Tebow. Dear Senor Odor, you make me flip. My jaw drops for you. Will you be my valentine? Te amo, Jose Batista. Dear DJ, congrats on the sex. Will you be my valentine? Love always, Al, as in Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez, big beef with Derek Jeter and the New York Yankees for all those years. Love Al. See that? Dearest Eldrick, I'd love nothing more than to have you back. Will you be my Valentine? Love, Philip. See, because Tiger Woods' back is in bad shape. Have you back. Phil Nicholson, see that? See where we're going. Phil Nicholson, see that? See where we're headed? I think that's enough explaining. Let's just get to the rest here. Dear Derek Fisher, if I could fall into the sky... Do you think time would pass me by? Because you know I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just see you tonight. Will you be my Valentine? Yours, Matthew Barnes. Oh, here's one lying around from last year's Valentine's Day. Dear Carmelo, if I offer you a rose, will you be mine? Love always, James. Dear Stephen, I get a kick out of you. 
Will you be my Valentine? Love, Dre. Dearest Kevin. You're my honey bun, sugar plum, pumpy umby umpkin. You're my sweetie pie. You're my cupcake gumdrop, snickums, bookums. You're the apple of my eye. And I love you so, and I want you to know that I'll always be right here. And I love to sing three songs to you because... You are so dear. Will you be my Valentine? Always, Russell. Dear Chip, I'd get on one knee for you. Will you be my Valentine? Love, Colin. Dear LaShawn, roses are red, violets are blue. See, I love colors. How about you? Will you be my Valentine? Love, Chip Kelly. Uh, JJ, I don't know what I would do without you. Will you be our Valentine? Love, the boys from Pardon My Take. Dear Roger Goodell, Netflix and Bill? Love always, William Belichick. Mr. Kamish. You take the air right out of my ball, I mean lungs. Will you be my Valentine? Love, Thomas Brady. Dearest Aaron, we love when you play hard to get. Will you be our Valentine? Love, the Rogers family. Dearest Patriots, are you a 25-point lead? Because I want to blow you. Will you be my Valentine? Sincerely. The Dirty Birds. And last but not least, another Valentine from last year's stack, but this was actually a breakup letter. Dear Beast Mode, we could run away together, but I think I'll pass. Love always, Pete Carroll. Let's take a quick break to buy some clearance Valentine's Day candy. When we come back, we'll get back into our discussion with NBA writer Oliver Maroney about the biggest storylines in the league. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. So getting to the NBA, I'd say there's been three main storylines that have been dominating mainstream basketball news. LeBron, as always. The Warriors, more recently, as always. And now, the New York Knicks. But before we get into that, what has been the biggest storyline to you so far that no one has really been talking about, but perhaps should be? I think, uh, you know, in recent weeks, I'd say the Miami Heat. I think the Miami Heat have been incredible to watch. Uh, I think they've been much more improved than anybody would have thought they would have been. Losing a guy like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh for the rest of the season, obviously, well, for his potentially his career. Um, and that team has somehow managed to fight and stay in the race and, and keep their head above water. And Eric Spolster is, I think, the, the biggest reason for that. He's been able to coach and get the most out of these guys. And so I think the Miami Heat have definitely been the story as of late. I think overall through the season, 
you know, there's there's been a couple talking points. Unfortunately, Jabari Parker's injury kind of set the Bucks back, but I think the Bucks have been really, really intriguing. Uh, they've been fun to watch. Giannis specifically has been incredible to watch. Um, and, man, I mean, it, it's hard to take one story and say, yeah, this is the best one of the year. But, uh, I, I, honestly, I'd probably say Isaiah Thomas. Uh, just because of what <laughs> what he's overcome, and I know everybody talks about it all the time, like oh he's so short and he's doing so much and everything else. But I actually I think there's an indirect effect that uh, Brad Stevens has on this boss. Well, he, there's a direct effect, obviously, but uh, the thing that people aren't necessarily talking about is the way Brad Stevens has managed to get the most out of Isaiah Thomas while still keeping his defense at, at a good rate, and uh, that's impressive. You see most teams with offensively gifted players and players that are defensively lacking, and basically you get the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, you know, the Portland Trailblazers' backcourt is just notorious for being a bad defensive backcourt, and because of that, the Blazers, I think, struggle. They don't have the rim protection they need, but uh, when you compare them to the Boston Celtics, they're, you know, they're not, they're not light years ahead of one another, but what Brad Stevens has been able to accomplish with Isaiah Thomas is He's been able to say, look, I'm going to use you for your strengths. I'm going to try and make sure that teams don't exploit your weakness, and we're going to run from there. And he's put four-plus defenders around an incredibly gifted offensive talent in Isaiah Thomas, and you've seen the fruits of that. Uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas is probably up there for me as an MVP candidate. They're a number two seed in the East. They didn't expect to be there, I don't think, at the beginning of the season. And uh, Isaiah Thomas has been the biggest reason for the Boston Celtics' success, as much as people want to say, you know, the, the defense has been good. Uh, I think overall that team is probably the storyline for me to watch, just because of how they started the season. People didn't expect them to be as good as they've been. I was one of those people. And uh, for that reason, like I said, I think Isaiah Thomas, the Brad Stevens coaching influence, that has probably been the storyline of the season for me. I think you've pretty much hit on everything that's quietly been going on that has been incredibly impressive in their own ways. What has been loud in the NBA realm of news has been the recent developments with the New York Knicks. And since you sparked such a discussion on first take, let me ask you something that they have asked and probably would if they were here. Are you a team Dolan guy or a team Oakley guy? Team Oakley all the way. Sorry, you can't treat a former great like that. That's, there's just no way to handle that situation. And just I'm going from what I see on the videos and everything else. Uh, and I just I don't think an ex player would come out and say the things that Oakley said without them being remotely true. So for that reason, I'm a team Oakley guy. I think the Knicks have handled this extremely poorly. I think the whole situation was handled poorly. I think they've actually, quite frankly this season has been absolutely a detriment to the Knicks organization and could be for years to come because of uh, what they've started here with Carmelo Anthony and Oakley. There's Dolan, there's Phil, there's the Carmelo no trade cause, there's Derek Rose's knees, there's Joakim Noah's free throws, Perzingis maybe going a little bit quiet in his sophomore season. Is there anything you can pinpoint that needs to happen for the Knicks to become a relevant team again, at least in a good way? Unfortunately, I think they've done too much damage. And it's not necessarily the players they picked up. I actually was one of the people who said that the Knicks would make the playoff this year just based on the talent that they had on the roster. I know that's crazy sounding at this point, but, you know, 
it, Melo showed something to me this offseason in the sense of maturity, and he obviously played with a better team in the Olympics than he did with the Knicks, but I thought you saw him in the offseason take a step forward in maturity, take a step forward in the right direction, and he's only grown with the New York Knicks. Uh, I think that he's been probably the adult in this whole situation so far, and the way the Knicks have handled this situation with Carmelo has been probably the poorest of any superstar talent that I can remember. And because of that reason, I think they're going to struggle extremely hard to find guys that want to play there, to find free agents that want to play there. And even making trades, I don't know if there's anything they can do necessarily to change the landscape of this team. Now, if Cleveland says, yeah, sure, Kevin Love's out six weeks, we'd like to deal him for, uh, you know, Carmelo Anthony, I think you do that as long as Carmelo waives the no trade clause. Now, from what I was told, Carmelo doesn't want to waive that trade clause in the middle of the season because he wants his kids to stay in school. Now, I don't know if that changes because he could potentially win a championship. I don't know what the scenario is there. But I find it hard to believe that Cleveland's going to deal Kevin Love for Carmelo Anthony. And other than that, I just don't see much much hope for this organization as far as landing a big-time free agent, uh, landing a couple of extra players especially with, you know, now they've got Noah locked up for another three years. Uh, they've got, you know, Derrick Rose is a free agent this offseason, I believe, so there's not much of an issue there. But their point guard position is just a question mark. And if you want to win games in the NBA, I think point guard is probably the number one position in the league. Uh, and so for that reason, like I said, I, I just don't think the Knicks have any direction right now. And I think Phil Jackson has handled this poorly. I think Dolan has handled it poorly. And the only guy in the situation that can say, yeah, I've done as much as I possibly can is probably Carmelo. <laughs> so uh, I feel bad for him uh, in this sense. Uh, you know, look, he's a scorer. People don't like the way he's played, but he showed miles uh, better maturity in New York. He says he wants to play there. He's stuck by this team, even through the tough times. And he gets dealt this kind of, this kind of hand it, it's absolutely outrageous to me you mentioned kevin loves now out for six weeks with that knee injury and lebron recently said he'll rest when he's retired in a response to him taking his usual plans to rest as he does in the second half maybe another trip to miami would be in store do you think it's wise for the Cleveland Cavaliers, even though they are battling for the first place position in the East and will continue to do so in the second half, to put more weight on LeBron's shoulders, especially at this point in his career? Look, the thing for me, and, and most people will knock me for this, but I, I am of the sense that LeBron is smart enough with his body and smart enough with his nutrition and diet that he can stay healthy throughout basically anything. Now, yes, there is injuries. That's part of the game. It's part of the situation. But if I'm LeBron James and I have a chance to win another championship, which he does, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are right there at the top next to the Golden State Warriors. I think you have to do whatever you can to win another championship. And if that means him playing more, if that means not resting as much, I think you take that chance because the longer he waits, uh, or I guess the more he rests, um, the worse off this team is. And I don't know how many more years he's going to have in Cleveland 
with the supporting cast that he does. Uh, they've got a ton of talent on the bench. They've got a ton of talent on the actual court. I just don't know how many more years he has left in him. And this is an opportunity that he can't just give up. So for me, I'm all for him playing as many games as he possibly can. And I think that he's, you know, probably one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And if he wants to continue to cement that legacy, he's going to have to continue to win. And to do so, he's going to have to play. So this past weekend, we saw Kevin Durant return home to Oklahoma City to provide at least a little juice for a contest with two teams that aren't necessarily very close in the talent department. A discussion I had on Twitter recently, or at least was a part of, was that it was mentioned that this year's Warriors team won't match last season's regular season record, but that's not necessarily a great judge of them as a whole. Skill-wise, how much better do you think this year's team is than last year's, regardless of what their record might be when the season ends? Miles better? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> look, their their starting five has four all four all stars. Um, it, you know, obviously, uh, four all time like top twenty five players. I guess you could put it that way. And as much as people want to say the bench was better last year, yeah, it was. Uh, this team is markedly improved, and the way they can play and turn it on with a flick of a switch is much better than it was, I think, in previous seasons. And, and there's a variable here that people don't take into consideration, which is Kevin Durant's only been in the system for like four or five months. Just wait until the, the playoffs start, because the playoffs are a different animal, and teams have to game plan for each individual and they're not going to be able to game plan for this team. I guarantee it. There's no way that you're stopping Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson all at one time. And for that reason, I just think that, you know, having four guys like that on your team is invaluable. You're always going to be ahead of anybody else on paper and talent-wise. Now, can they put it together? Can they have the team chemistry that they had last year? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe this will take a little bit longer. But for the most part, I think this team is markedly improved. As we close out the first half, you've already mentioned the Celtics as a team to continue to watch. Are there any other teams that have either pleasantly surprised you or disappointed you so far? Yeah, I think uh, the team that's really been interesting for me is the Washington Wizards. Can't say enough about Scott Brooks, man. He's been coaching this team up and they're doing incredible things right now. And John Wall and Bradley Beal seem to somehow have worked out their off-the-court issues and uh, frustrations with each other. And it seems like winning has cured all in Washington. And if that's the case, they could be a really, really confident bunch in the playoffs. And I wouldn't want to touch them in the playoffs just because of the skill they have in that backcourt. I mean, you talk about a team like even Cleveland. Uh, that backcourt is so much better than Cleveland's backcourt, in my opinion. And if, you know, not necessarily saying that Washington's going to beat Cleveland by any means, but I think that they can definitely give them a run for their money. And for that reason, I think the Wizards are, are one that has pleasantly surprised me uh, since their poor start to start to see, start the season. When you look at teams that have kind of disappointed me, I think the first one that comes to mind is Portland, just based on what they were bringing back. They're, they were supposed to be improved this season, or at least the same, and they're not even that. And I think everything that has gone wrong, or has gone wrong, has just been unfortunate for them. Al Farouk Aminu was out for the first, you know, 15 or so games here and there and everywhere. 
Evan Turner, getting him into the lineup and the rotation in the offense just didn't really work out to begin with. Now he's injured. Um, and the big man situation continues to be a problem. They just don't have a rim protector that we thought potentially could be masked by a guy like Azili, who's been injured for the past, I don't know, for the since, since the beginning of the season and hasn't played and probably won't. So between those three kind of points, the Blazers have been a disappointment and very, very frustrating to watch at times. I think they can turn it around a little bit, but uh, they're going to struggle with that backcourt if they don't have rim protection. Now, they did pick up Nurkic. People are hoping that he's going to be the savior. I'm here to tell you that he's not going to be. That's not a game-changing player, in my opinion. I think that he'll be a good addition, but he's not going to change the fate of your team, and I think that people who think that are probably overly optimistic. So this team has some hope, but it smells like they're going to make another move just based on the fact that they've acquired three first-round picks now and they have options to move things. And I know that Neil Olshay came out, I think, a couple of nights ago and said, we're active, uh, end quote, in the trade market. So would not be surprised to see another move by the Trailblazers. Potentially a big rim protector would be probably their best fit. I've said a million times that I think Andrew Bogut's probably the best option there. Um, he is injured and injury prone, so I don't know if that even works out anymore. But there are some options out on the, the, the market that could potentially help Portland a lot more, a lot greater than what they acquired in Nurkic. So we'll see what happens, but those are probably my two, my winner and my loser, I guess you could say, for the season so far. Speaking of the trade market, we had this question sent to us on Twitter. The Magic trading Serge Ibaka to the Toronto Raptors for a first-round draft pick and swingman Terrence Ross, your guy, as you mentioned and said on Twitter. Who do you think ended up winning this trade? I, people will call me crazy, but I actually think the Magic, they didn't win the trade. I don't, I don't really like saying they would win the trade. I think both teams won. They got the players they needed. And, well, no, let's, let's put it this way. Toronto got what it needed. Orlando got rid of something they weren't going to be able to keep. So, in my opinion, both teams won. I think the sneaky pick here is Orlando, quote-unquote, won the deal. Uh, and the reason I say that is, you know, I've got a connection with Ross. So, yes, there may be a little bit of bias in my tone here. But uh, I, I think Ross was never utilized the proper way with, with Casey. This season you saw glimpses of it here and there. You've seen it in the past. He can put up 51 points in a game, no problem at all. Uh, he is a scorer. He's pretty efficient on offense, can shoot the ball very well. And Orlando needs this desperately. So they're getting a guy who could potentially be a very, very high ceiling type of player. And I think he's going to probably play close to 30 minutes a night with the Orlando Magic team. I just don't see any other way around it based on his shooting and scoring ability. And you get a first round pick too to, to throw in there. But I, I think Terrence Ross could be a sneaky pick for potentially like most improved in the second half of the season, maybe uh, just because of the scenario he's been dealt and what's going on there in Orlando. I, I just think that they're going to utilize him way more than he ever has. And actually, someone on Twitter pointed out he only had, it. I think it was about 17 touches a game uh, with Toronto, which is like nothing when you think about backcourt players that are playing 20-plus minutes a night. So if he gets touches and he can make the most of his opportunity, I think he could be a very sneaky pick and could, I don't know, but I think a lot of Raptors fans will probably look back and say, like, oh, man, well, we should have used Ross a little bit more. That's, that, that's where I come in. But, I mean, the Ibaka trade for the Raptors 
puts it in the win now scenario right this minute. It makes logical sense in many, many ways. But if Ibaka doesn't get re-signed somehow or they can't somehow figure out a way to do it, which I don't think is going to happen, but if it does, this may turn out to be a, a pretty lopsided deal in the end of things. Regarding the rest of the NBA, do you think there's any other teams that should at least try to be active during the trade deadline to either get rid of players that they might not be able to re-sign or, as you mentioned, bring in some guys to have that win-now type of focus for the second half? Uh, I think Portland's up there. I think uh, if Boston really wants to contend, I think they should probably go out and get another piece. Um, Atlanta seems to be, to me, seems like they should be a seller. Uh, I don't know why they're going to try and keep Paul Millsap. I don't think he's going to stay in Atlanta. That's just my personal opinion. I have no basis behind it, but I think that that is an interesting situation as to why they wouldn't be sellers because they've got a lot of young players they could throw in there. And uh, Phoenix is another one that I think, you know, just start, start tanking, not tanking, but I hate that word, but start losing in a good way, I guess you could say, which (laughs) sounds weird, but uh, play your young guys, get them more experience, get them more run and try and get a better draft pick in the same sense. And hopefully that'll turn out for the Phoenix Suns, because uh, to me, I just don't think they have a shot at the playoffs. Um, and this team is young. It's going to continue to improve. I think a guy like, you know, Brandon Knight needs to be shipped off. And uh, that would probably be it. I mean, Houston maybe need another piece to really, truly contend. So maybe they go out and get a guy like Miritich or someone along those lines. But um, yeah, that, that's probably about it. I mean, you could probably go down the list of all the NBA teams and say, look, this team needs this, this team needs this. But if you were to ask me a few teams that I think should really, really make a move, it'd probably be Boston and Portland. And aside from that, I'd probably say sellers should be uh, Phoenix and gosh, maybe, maybe Philly at this point as well. If they can get rid of a guy like Okafor for a couple of extra picks, that, that may be a good option as well. To wrap this up with the All-Star festivities coming this weekend, you just put out a piece today about Chuck Milan, the owner and founder of Team Flight Brothers, who quietly helps out the NBA players prepare for the dunk contest. Was he able to teach you how to dunk during that interview? <laughs> no, man, I'm terrible. I, I don't have any hops. I've got the, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't have a syndrome, but uh, yeah, I just can't. I can't jump. I, I can't do it. And no, he didn't teach me that, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> I wish. I wish. I'll attach that story to my show notes because it was pretty fascinating to get a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on with this dunk contest. For the All-Star festivities, is there anything exciting that you look forward to in these games or contests that are coming up this weekend? I look forward to the dunk contest every single year. And part of the reason is, uh, well, it's grown on me specifically the past three or four years. Ever since, actually, the reason I did the piece is ever since Chuck got involved, it seems like the dunk competition has gotten better and better and better. Right. And I think I think there's a correlation between the two, to be to be quite honest. But um, yeah, I mean, this year's dunk competition is absolutely insane. I think Glenn Robinson is kind of the sleeper pick there. Uh, GR3 is going to have some crazy, crazy dunks, and I I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to accomplish. He's already posted, I think, some teasers on Instagram about it, but uh, Aaron Gordon obviously should be dunking as well. 
Uh, Derek Jones Jr. is kind of the guy that everybody's talking about now because of how many dunks he can possibly do and how high he jumps and just everything that he does. He's just freakish athletic and uh, can do a lot of things. So all these guys are going to be interesting to watch. And I think this dunk competition has the potential to be the best we've seen in the past 10 or so years. Uh, so that's probably my number one thing. The next thing is probably the three-point competition, quite frankly. They've got so many guys in it this year. Otto Porter kind of got slighted there, but other than that, they've got a ton of guys in the competition that I think could win it, and it'll be fun to watch uh, both of those. I'm not really interested usually in the the actual all-star game. Um, usually it's just like the side events, I guess you could say, uh, the dunk competition, the three-point competition, and even the skills challenge to me is kind of interesting as well. So those are probably the three I'll keep an eye out most for. Uh, other than that, you know, all-star MVP seems to be a topic of conversation all the time. I will be a little bit interested in the Westbrook and Kevin Durant kind of dynamic, but other than that, yeah, I don't really necessarily need to watch all the all-star games. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if anything, I hope Steve Kerr does make that happen for us and puts Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on the floor at the same time. What's funny is if they had a better breakup, I don't think that could ever happen with Russell Westbrook, but at least if this were to happen, eight or 10 years down the road, I think people would appreciate it a lot more as kind of their swan song to their careers. But at this point, I don't know if it's going to be as amicable as people might think or as it should be. So that, if anything, will be something to keep an eye on. Well, Oliver, I have to thank you again for coming on to the show. It was great hearing about what you've been doing for writing purposes and then your insight for what you've seen so far in this first half of the season. Continued success with all the writing that you've been doing and the new adventures that you have in store with that new position. And hopefully down the road, we can catch back up with you again and talk about what's going on in the NBA as well. Always, always. Anytime, my man. Always happy to talk, hoops, wherever you need me. Always happy to carve out some time and, uh, and chat. So thank you very much for having me on. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can subscribe to The Bridge Sports Podcast on iTunes. Please leave a positive rating and review if you enjoy the show. And by doing so, you'll immediately be notified when new episodes of The Bridge are posted each week. You can also find the Bridge Sports Podcast on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also visit londonbridge.com slash email to subscribe to the Bridge newsletter, which will provide weekly updates and behind-the-scenes information about the next show. In the next installment of the Bridge, we'll break down NBA All-Star Weekend, dive into Major League Baseball Spring Training, dabble with a little college basketball, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.